Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Jim. It's my honor and pleasure to be the senior pastor and a member of our great clergy and staff team here at First Methodist. I'm glad you're here. Welcome. Uh, I want to say just from the beginning, happy Thanksgiving in advance, everybody. I hope you're going to have a wonderful week. I hope that there's gravy in your future. Really, I hope there's gravy in my future. But really, the most important thing that I want to say is uh, we're thankful for you and that God is at work in your life. And I pray that over this week, no matter what your plans are, no matter what your holiday looks like, that God will show you something that will elicit from you thank you because it, he is good and he loves you. So uh, I hope that you have a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, let me remind you of a, a story, a brief story we've been talking about for a few weeks. There was a, a, uh, one day a man met a famous revivalist preacher who had come into town. This would be a, a pastor who led all these kind of uh, revival services around town. And, and this young man was desperate for advice. So he asked the revivalist, he said, how can I bring revival to my city? And the revivalist said, go home, lock the door, kneel down in the middle of the floor in your basement, and there with a piece of chalk, draw a circle around yourself. And then kneel down and there in that circle, pray fervently and brokenly that God would bring revival to that circle. That God would do a work in you. Revival begins in all of us. The work of God is calls and wants to do great work in all of us, and we yield together. And as we do, together he is magnified through our lives together. So our sermon series is called The Chalk Circle. And in this series, what I'm inviting us all to do is enter our chalk circle to pray for four things that will open and prepare our hearts to receive a fresh work of God's Holy Spirit. And those four things have been humility and repentance and forgiveness and spiritual practice. Today we're talking about forgiveness. Now, I, we're going to take a, a slightly sideways look at forgiveness today because one thing that I don't I'm really cognizant of as I stand up before you and share the Word of God with you is it would be really easy for me to say, God wants you to forgive people because he forgave you. Got it? Good. Go figure out how to make that work. But see, God doesn't want us to just know things about him and know what we, quote, should do. God actually changes us and enables us and works through the uh, easy parts and the difficult parts of our life so that we can actually fulfill that life that he envisions for us, which is actually a life of forgiveness where we extend forgiveness to other people. And one of the reasons, one of the many reasons that I think that we find it hard to forgive others is that we don't know what to do with the hurt. What do I do with the hurt if I were to forgive someone else? And so just as a way to be practical today, we're going to talk about how God can help us resolve the hurt that's in our lives so we are free to know the joy and freedom of forgiving other people. So let's turn our attention to the scriptures. We'll be in Romans today, chapter 12. The selected passage starts at verse 17, but if you'll permit me, I'd love to read a little bit earlier. So the part on the screen will start on verse 17. I'm going to read from verse 9 to verse 20. 
I invite you to hear the word of the Lord. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals up on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. My friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Come, Holy Spirit, give us a word that we might live. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen, Amen. So I noticed this the other day, that every movie that's coming out is just a remake of movies, uh, things that were out when I was a kid, and really, I am the target audience of Hollywood. All they want to do is take the things that I liked when I was a kid, make a movie out of it, and charge me $12 a ticket to go see it. There appears to be no new stories in all of the world. I think about that. Have you noticed that there, even if that's a marketing technique, have you noticed that there are some stories that just pop up over time? I want you to think about this one. Uh, William Shakespeare's famous play, Hamlet, has been one of the most reproduced and sought-after stories of all time. It's shown up on stage over and over and over, over 30 uh, film adaptations. In fact, Hamlet shows up in the plots of movies that you may not have even realized. Go watch The Lion King and read Hamlet. Who'd have thunk it? You might remember Moby Dick. I'm sure how many of you have read Moby Dick? How many of you are telling the truth? that you, I know you've read Moby Dick. Yeah. Moby Dick, the sequel, Cliff Notes. Uh, continues to be on school reading lists, and it just captures people. It's been adapted into film and television. The Count of Monte Cristo is another uh, text. Alexa- Alexandre Dumas is another classic novel. Continues to captivate us today, even though it is from another century, and continues to inspire film. There's even, I'll tell you about it in a minute, uh, it inspired a award-winning television show not more than 10 years ago. And so what do all these, these particular stories, what do they have in common? 
What do they have in common? Let's take a look. So Hamlet is the story of a prince seeking to avenge his father's death. Moby Dick is the story of Captain Ahab's pursuit of revenge against the white whale, who, among other things, took his leg. The Count of Monte Cristo is the story of a man who was wrongfully imprisoned and then his subsequent journey to exact revenge against his accusers. What do these stories have in common? Revenge. In fact, very creatively, um, that adaptation of the Count of Monte Cristo, or actually the TV show inspired by it, it was a few years ago. It was entitled Revenge. And it was, in the beginning, uh, the most watched show. I didn't watch it. It's not a pastoral recommendation. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's not. I just want you to know that there was a TV show called Revenge because it helps me make my point. Do you get it? A good revenge story resonates with people. That's why these stories are told over and over in different ways. If you go even back to the earliest recorded kind of storytelling, there is this, uh, these stories of revenge and they're popular because people like them. They're money makers because we spend money to see them. That's capitalism at work, my friends. We are drawn to pay for stories that have to do with vengeance. And so I wonder what it tells us that these stories are told over and over for hundreds of years, these particular stories and others like them. What does it tell us that one of the uh, best uh, the highest rated TV shows in the last couple of years would have been a show called Revenge. What might that tell us? Well, it could tell us that in living rooms across our country, there are people who struggle with conflict in their lives and how to deal with it. That people might feel like, just like the people in these stories, that somebody has crossed a line in our lives, but we get to watch them do what we don't know how to do, which is to fill the gap in our life. For some reason, it's captivating to watch other people get their debt repaid. Have you ever heard the old saying, nature abhors a vacuum? You ever heard that saying? It means basically this. It, it tells us that an empty space will draw things to itself to be full again. You just think about uh, a divot in the floor. If you spill some water, it's going to be filled. Nature abhors a vacuum, so things want to draw things into empty spaces. Now, here's the deal. When we are hurt and we feel like we've been wronged, we feel like something has been taken from us, there's, there is a debt, a, an empty space brought into our life. And that space needs to be filled again. And that happens in a lot of different ways. And some of the ways that that happens is that in our relationships, people wrong us. They cross boundaries, sometimes in ways that are minor, sometimes in ways that are minor that build up over time, like a snowball. Sometimes they're very large. Sometimes they have no idea what they've done Sometimes we perceive the wrong, but the hole is still there. It may not have actually been the way we perceived it, but it's still there. Either way, in that case, there is an empty space in our lives. Maybe they took something from us, or maybe uh, they cut 
are, uh, you know, have you ever heard that? We cut somebody down and they left that space or they broke our heart and in that crack there is a hole and a space and it longs to be filled. It's like a debt that must be repaid. A debt, one way or another, must be paid. And revenge is one way that people in those scenarios seek to pay debt. Revenge and vengeance is a form of debt repayment. It's one way that people, when they are hurt, will work that hurt out to be repaid. You hurt me? Well, I hurt you. We settle the score. You can even hear the account language in there. We settle the account. You damage my reputation, I damage yours. You take from me, I take from you. And it seems like the debt is repaid, right? But not really. Because when vengeance is used as a form of repayment, where does it stop? I mean, that's the question. Where does it stop? You hurt me, so I hurt you. Well, now you're hurt, so you hurt me. Well, you hurt me, so now I hurt you. You lie about me, I lie about you. You take from me, I take from you. Over and over and over. Where does it stop? And what happens if we die trying? The debt doesn't just disappear. More than likely, it'll pass on to the people around us, even unbeknownst to us. We see it all of the time. Cycles of vengeance playing out across the world. Feuds between countries and clans. Rivalries and families. Payback between siblings. You carry maybe something that's a debt in your heart that wasn't even yours, but you grew up with it, and it's now yours. Getting even with your wife or your husband. Cycles of back-and-forth vengeance carry on because everybody has this need to feel whole again, and we don't know how to do it. A debt has to be repaid. It has to be repaid, and we don't know how to pay it. But getting back at people doesn't pay debts. It doesn't. It simply passes them down the line. And like every debt, if it is not addressed early, its interest will compound and the pain actually gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Who's going to pay it? Who's going to pay it? Where does it stop? And even if we do find a way to settle the score with someone, can we really be filled and whole the way we were? It's difficult. The only way, if a debt can't be directly repaid, the only way to, forgive, to get rid of it is to forgive it, to forgive the debt, to wipe it from the books and to wipe it out, which is great. On Excel or in your QuickBooks, you can try to wipe out a debt, but it's going to end up somewhere. Somebody has to pay that debt. So for us, what do we do? We forgive the debt for the person that cannot pay it back for us. And the reason that it's hard for us to do that is because then what do we do with what is left? If I say, I no longer hold you to account for what you have done, big or small, What do I do with the debt? I think that's one of the reasons that it's hard to forgive. What do I do with the pain that's been implanted in my life? What do I do with the hole that's left by what people take? I think we know on the outside, like the scripture tells us, that um, repaying people evil with evil, for example, is not the way to go, right? We know that uh, vengeance is uh, do not avenge yourselves, is what the Bible says. 
and yeah, there's something neat about this. Like from the outside, you're like, yeah, that's a great idea. That sounds moral and Christian and good. Don't do bad things when people do bad things for you. If you have an enemy, you should feed them and give them water, which is great until you have an enemy that's hungry and thirsty. You see what I'm saying? Like, let's, it's, it's really easy on the outside to say, yeah, there is, God will repay. There's no reason. You don't even worry about it. You're going to be fine. Be nice. Don't hurt your enemies. Don't overcome, be overcome by evil. That's great until evil and enemies and difficulties come your way. The, the, the reality is the Bible in, this, in sections like this that give us a lot of what sound like instructions, we need to be really clear that God is doing a work behind it to make these things possible for us. It's not, what, I, what I don't want you to hear when, you, when we read things like this is, hey, don't do that, do this, don't do that, do this. What you need to hear is, this is the way that God makes it possible for me to live and move in the world because of who he is and what he has done. And so how is it that when we are left with a bag of debt, a hole in our heart, so to speak, by something that someone else has done, how can we let God repay to do good to bless even those who wrong us. There's a phrase here that Paul writes in Romans verse 19. He says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay says the Lord. I will repay, says the Lord. So first, vengeance and repayment are not really our responsibility. That's good to know. Payment really isn't our responsibility, and it sometimes can't be the responsibility of the person who's hurt us either. But God says, I will repay. Now, that means a couple of things. One, it, it sure is nice to know that somebody will finally make sure that those who are living unjustly and causing darkness and evil in the world, that they will finally, uh, that score will finally be settled. It is good to know that there's somebody who can do that with the power to do it. God will take care of the things that we can't take care of. There will be justice in the world. We will try our might with all our might, but God will repay those who have wronged and hurt. But that's not really the only thing that he's going for here. As God says, I will repay. I think that if we look at the gospel of Jesus Christ and how God repays, sometimes, sometimes that means that he takes the debt and the hurt and the pain upon himself that someone else might be healed and be free. So yes, God will ensure that the unjust and the evil will receive their comeuppance, so to speak. Uh, but I think that when God says, I will repay, what he's, also, what he's also inviting us to recognize through the entirety of the witness of his work is that he repays the debts that are owed even to those who are hurt by, as victims and by objects of injustice and things of that nature. So that there is a debt that God, in your heart, that God will repay that as well. I want you to think about this. Jesus on the cross 
looking down over the people who have nailed him there and who are jeering him and likely who sentenced him unjustly. And he says to them, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You've got to believe that there's a debt that they would owe him, but he takes it upon himself that they might be free. And all of that pain that he experiences there, is that not ours as well? Is he not carrying not only our sin and our death, but also the pain that is caused by a world of sin and death? He will repay even those who are hurt. God pays the debt. God has something in mind for those who have a debt left in their lives because of the actions of the other. And I, and I invite you to think, has somebody hurt you? Don't hurt them because God can heal your hurt. The debt can be zeroed. Has somebody lied to you? There's no need to spread lies because God is the truth and the truth sets us free. Has someone stolen from you? We don't have to steal from them for God has always poured out and given us everything we could ever need and more. God says, I will repay. And that means something for those who have wronged us, who will not repent, who continue in evil. But it also means something for those of us who have been hurt by another. Is that hole, that space in your heart that demands repayment, that debt, that God will pay that and bring healing into your life as well. Let me tell you a quick story. And this is one of the most difficult uh, experiences that I had since I've been a pastor, not in life, but just as a pastor. Um, Pseudonyms, of course, because we're now live streamed all over the internet. Makes it harder to tell real life stories, but... Uh, let's just say the beautiful couple, uh, John and Joni. All right, John and Joni. Our older couple, uh, farmland. I love it. It's a great country church. And they had uh, a couple of children. One of, them, one of them's name was Tony, who lived in a trailer on their property off to the, the side of their land. Uh, John and Joni were just pillars of the church. I don't think I've ever met anybody more genuinely real life to the bones, faithful and love the Lord Jesus. Like, you just walk by them, and it's like walking by uh, your grandparents and Jesus at the same time. And they're always up at the food pantry every week, uh, giving food to people. They were always being a blessing, teaching Sunday school. just a beautiful couple. Um, we got a call one day that John had gone over to, the, to Tony's trailer in the golf cart that morning or the gator it was a gator not a golf cart that's what you have on a farm he had found that the the trailer had been broken into and he found barry they had taken his life i said they're on to tony they'd take his life he found him there it was just a smash and grab robbery in the wrong place in the wrong time and they found and and they they tony was just there the wrong place wrong time in his own home i guess well, fast forward, they were able to catch the people very quickly because it was just, they took his stuff and pawned it off. And so they were able to go to court. And it's, it's not always normal that you can catch somebody so quickly doing this. Joni and John were in court, watched the proceeding. The two people were found guilty and sentenced. And they thought that would make them feel better. I mean, in a way, in a way, it was right and good that they were going, they were going to receive justice. 
They didn't feel better. They didn't feel better. And I didn't, you know, what do you tell them? You can't really tell them anything, but Joni was going to help us know how this works. It was a couple of months later, and she had been crying and praying, crying and praying. And eventually she had the idea. She wrote a letter, and she got with the lawyer to go visit one of the perpetrators, the two perpetrators in prison. And she read them a letter that basically says, I don't know why this happened. My heart is hurt, but I forgive you. But I forgive you. And then she started to feel brighter and a little bit lighter. And, the, and it still hurts, but they would never be able to pay back what they took. So instead of holding it, she allowed God to be a salve and a healing to her heart. It was able to let, have her let it go for their sake, but also for her own heart, so that she wasn't holding on to anything that would prevent her from knowing the fullness that God would have for her life. Gentlemen still in jail, rightly so. They're still responsible for their actions. But she was able to take her hurt to the only place that it could possibly be healed, not back to them, not back out into the world, but to God who could heal it and transform it from pain into forgiveness. This is all I'm trying to tell you here. Is that there are many times in our lives where our difficulty to forgive someone else is not only going to stand in the way of your thriving and your flourishing, but it's going to stand in the way of opening your heart to God who loves you and wants more for you than you could ever imagine. And he wants for you to be free. And one of the reasons that it's hard is because of the hurt. I want to invite you. If that's the case for you, and you're not just being obstinate to refuse to forgive somebody, let's draw the circle. Let's kneel down. Let's put our hurt before the Lord openly and honestly and say, Lord, there is no one who can repay this debt that's in my heart but you. By your Spirit, who is present now, will you bring me healing that I might bring forgiveness? Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask for your blessing as we work together to seek your forgiveness. Help us to see and to know in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.